Happy New Year. Gosh, we are now in 2021. What a remarkable thing. I guess for many of us, we are really pleased to leave 2020 behind. But you know, I'm reminded of a scripture that I have shared, which is those that trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. They shall not be shaken and they will endure forever. For as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. The psalmist has a way of just reminding us some wonderful truths there. And as we enter 2021, let's remind ourselves that we will not be shaken. Not only will we not be shaken, but we will endure. We will keep going. Why can we endure? Why is it that we can't be shaken? Well, because we're the people that trust completely in the Lord. We trust in his grace. We trust in his love. We trust in the hope of the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a people who celebrate the fact that God surrounds us, that God is with us and God cares for us and loves, for, loves us so much. So I'm delighted to be standing here January the 3rd to declare that Jesus Christ is alive. And no matter what happens in 2021, we know that we have a rock solid belief that Jesus is Lord. He is King and he is the one that brings future and life. He's the one that brings us deep joy and deep peace and deep hope. I love that. So now we're beginning our first worship service of 2021. Can I encourage you? To prepare your hearts now. Get ready with your communion. We will be taking communion and then we'll be sharing uh, about Daniel. This will be an introduction to where Daniel fits, to some of the great themes of Daniel and how Daniel informs us. But of course, Daniel was was a man that experienced massive change. Well, as a young boy and right the way through his lifetime, he was present in the Babylonian Empire, really from its height until it fell. And God was with him. God spoke to him prophetically. God used him powerfully as a leader and as an influencer. And he was able to maintain just the beauty of his faith in the middle of what was incredibly difficult times and challenging to hold on to God. Well, I think we can see a lot of parallels with our own journey, our own faith. And can I encourage you as well to consider what are you going to pray for at the beginning of 2021? What are the three things you are going to believe God for? What are those areas that you want God to move and work in. Now, of course, we don't know how things will look over the next month. We're expecting some announcements on the 8th of January when we will know whether we can reopen, probably in groups of 50, or whether we have to proceed in the way that we are. And then we have to pray about how to proceed and what we should do. So keep bathing the church in prayer. Keep praying for... Uh, the leadership and the pastors keep praying that God will give us that wisdom and that insight. So as we begin, let me pray. Father, thank you that we can gather together right now at the beginning of 2021 and declare Jesus as Lord. 
Declare that he is the king of kings. Declare that he is the line of the tribe of Judah. That we can know where our faith is. And I pray for every one of us on this last weekend, as it were before, often we start back to work. I pray, God, that you will give us a word this morning through the preaching and through the worship that will lift our spirits, that will excite us and will take us farther in our faith. Lord Jesus, I ask. So bless us now. Amen. Jesse is going to come and lead us in worship. And as he does that, I pray and know that God will encourage you and bless you as you spend this sacred time worshipping and connecting with the Lord. Good morning, church family. It's so good to be together this morning online. Excited to worship together. Let's see, let's see this. Let's praise the Lord together. Sing grace. Grace, you've shown me grace. You've lifted my shame. in grace in grace you've shown me grace you've lifted my shame and drawn me with love and kindness walk wider than snow as you have redeemed me whole in Jesus
chain with love and mercy you have triumphed over death and you are worthy of glory and praise and of glory and praise your wonderful name
His body bound 
praise your name, Jesus. Oh, Lord, our God, we will sing of your praise all of our days. God, you are good and you are worthy of all praise. God, we love you. Amen. Thanks, Jesse, for that worship and for that prayer. Really grateful. As we begin right now, let's grab our emblems and gather together and take a moment to remember all that Jesus Christ means to us and all that he has given to us. The bread and the wine. Our redemption is only found in Jesus Christ. He paid for the sins of the world. As we were declared this Christmas was that Emmanuel, God with us, God became man and only God could come and deal with the universal problem of sin. See, it is a universal problem. It's right the way through humanity. It stops us from enjoying and knowing that relationship with God. And because of the universal problem of man's sin, it took God who is eternal, who is all-powerful, who is glorious, to come down to this earth simply to fetch us back to God, to bring us home. And the way that we come home the doorway by which we enter in to the kingdom of God and into that relationship with God is only through the work and the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. It is his sacrifice and his death that enables us to boldly approach the throne of God. It is only through his death, his blood and his body that we are able to have a very deep and powerful sense of communion with God. And I really pray that 2021 will be that deep and powerful time of communion with the Lord for you. But here is the bread. The body of Christ that is broken for you. We thank you Lord Jesus. For the sacrifice you gave upon the cross. With every breath. You were thinking of us. With the searing pain through your arms and your legs, you were thinking of us. As you reached your body and stretched your body to gasp, those gasps were ones of complete and utter love. And we thank you for your body broken for us. The body of Christ. Broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of him. The blood of Jesus. That takes away the sins of the world. We thank you. That the blood was shed in the holy temple and one of the reasons was to purify that space so God could be. And we are purified through the blood so where there is a space in our lives where God dwells in his presence. A holy space. Our lives are washed clean. 
But of course, he paid the full price. He took the full agony and power of sin and death upon himself. And his blood paid the price. And so, Lord, we thank you for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that takes away the sins of the world. Drink it in remembrance of him. Maybe take a moment at the beginning of 2021 to rededicate your life even now. And pause and say, Lord Jesus, I give my whole life over to you. I offer myself as a sacrifice to you. And I pray that you will come and be number one. Be Lord in my life, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The first communion of 2021. A precious moment and a beautiful moment. Well, before we step into the message, we're going to hand right over now and we're going to listen to the Willow One News and all the things that are still going on at Willow Park Church as we seek to support you, as we seek to offer resources for you, and as we seek to keep our mission, not maintenance. God's called us for mission. God bless. Happy New Year, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Thank you for joining us for Church Online. Here is your family news. The Marriage Course is a series of seven sessions designed to help couples invest in their relationship and build a stronger marriage. It is coming to Willow Park Church at the end of January. The course will be hosted by some of our own pastors and leaders, and each session is like a date night for you and your spouse. If you're interested in learning more, please sign up on our website at willowparkchurch.com marriage. Next Sunday, January 10th, we will be starting our 21 Days of Prayer. This is a time for us to individually and as a church seek God's guidance in the new year. We would like to encourage you to start thinking about three prayer needs you would like to focus on. You can also sign up for our daily prayer devotional emails. We will also have more prayer opportunities for you throughout the month. Learn more at willowparkchurch.com slash 21 days. As you prepare for 21 days of prayer, you may want to join us for this special live stream event of the Hearing God course by Pastor Phil on January 4th to 9th. Each session is about 30 minutes and we'll be streaming on Facebook and at Church Online each day at 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. This course will explore how God speaks today why we need to hear God's voice, and ways to listen to God's guidance. Learn more at willowparkchurch.com slash hearing dash God. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Okay. Good morning, Willow Park Church. Happy New Year. It is great to be 
gathered together in our front rooms. Maybe you're watching it online. Maybe you are watching it live, uh, recording. You know what? We're doing church differently. We're still gathering, and it's a joy to be able to speak with you this morning. My name is Glenn. I'm one of the pastors at Willpart Church. And if this is the first time that you're joining us, you've chosen a really good Sunday because we're starting in a new series in Daniel. And uh, we're going to be really jumping into that uh, next week. This week, we're going to frame what this series is about, the lens, if you like, that we are going to be looking at Daniel through. So this is a really important week that you've joined us. So grab Grab your Bibles, uh, turn to Acts chapter 17, which I know is not Daniel, we're going to get there. Uh, Acts chapter 17, grab your Bibles, get your journals, we're going to be asking some provocative questions today. This is not one of those uh, rah-rah, happy new year, you're amazing, you can do this type sermons. That's true. But this sermon is a little bit more thoughtful. It's a, it's a kind of a, it's a, it's a reflection, an observation, if you like, about the culture that we're living in. But I want to start in Acts 17. I'm going to read some scripture from uh, the account of Paul as he was on his missionary journeys. So I'm going to read from verse 16, and then we're going to jump in uh, to study this passage a little bit, and then also study our culture a little bit. So for some of us, this is going to be uncomfortable listening. It's going to be taking off some spectacles that we think uh, are the correct ones and actually putting on ones that may be a little more uncomfortable to wear, a little more difficult to look through, but I want you to stick with me and um, you're going to be encouraged while actually having your eyes opened uh, possibly to the world that we're living in right now. So Acts chapter 17 verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and he saw that the city was full of idols. Remember that. He saw and he was provoked because he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? That's pleasant. What does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Verse 22, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said to the men, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word is powerful. It's above our thinking oftentimes. Lord, it's challenging, and yet it's encouraging. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd speak to us really clearly from your scripture this morning. Lord, open our eyes. Let us see in the way that you see. Let us see perhaps in the way Paul saw all those years ago. And God, I pray that at the end of this message, that every one of us would be encouraged and challenged and, Lord, and ready for this new year that we're stepping into. We ask these things in your precious name, King Jesus. We love you. Amen. 
Amen. Okay, Acts 17 is what we just read for. I want, I want you to remember the story of Paul going in and, and looking and having an interaction with the people around him. But there's one verse that I just want us to start with. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. He was provoked and he saw that the city was full of idols. Have you noticed, as a Christian, it's becoming increasingly difficult in our city, in Kelowna, even in the West, in our culture, to be an obvious Christian? I don't know if you remember, I love Western movies, and I don't know if you remember, invariably, in most Western movies, there's a time where the hero of the story walks into a saloon, and the person on the piano stops playing, everybody turns and looks at who this stranger is coming into their town, and there's this uncomfortable moment. There's a, this photo is an actual saloon uh, from that time, and everybody's staring at you. It feels a bit like that when you tell somebody that you're a Christian, that you feel that when you mention you're a Christian. It's like, really? Do they still exist? Do you hate gay people? Are you weird? It's that kind of response. That when you say you're a Jesus follower, there's a recoil, there's a a tension, there's a very real, visceral reaction. Hey, you know, what are you doing this Sunday, Glenn? Well, I'm going to church. Really? Church? That is the response. That is the reaction. And, And straight away, that might be uncomfortable hearing for some of us because we've not grown up in a culture like that. And so what we're going to see is Paul walks in to this new culture. He is provoked in his spirit and he sees, he sees things going on around him that actually create tension inside of him. There's a tension in our relationships, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our classrooms, in our universities. There's a tension like never before that when you mention that you're a Jesus follower or a Christian, that people kind of recoil a little bit. Especially now, because Christian, especially evangelical Christian, is almost a political term. There's, a, there's a, an immediate, ooh, no, that's not good. I don't know whether I want anything to do with you. There's a recoil. The, uh, the pastor, John Tyson, in, in New York said this, Christians rarely hold places of honor or influence in the secular world. And in increasingly frequent cases, we actually hold a place of shame and disdain in the public square. Let me encourage you. As much as we notice this in our culture, in our 21st century Kelowna city or in the West, this is not unusual for Christians. In fact, you can go back and we're going to be studying Daniel. You can look at the time of Daniel. There was a tension. There's a a visceral reaction. There's a recoil towards the people of God. You can go into the time of Jesus. It was very real at the time of Jesus. The time of Paul, as we've just read, very real. And all the way through over the last 2,000 years, you're going to find that Christians have a, there's a a recoil from culture when it comes to Christianity that is actually quite unique. It's very unique when it comes to religions. You've experienced this, that people react to Christianity in a way that they don't react to other religions or other belief systems or other worldviews. People seem to, for some strange spiritual reason that we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, they respond and react. 
in a way that we don't experience if you talk about even really what would seem to be quite crazy things. People don't react that way, but they do towards Christians, and they have always reacted that way to Christians, which is encouraging. However, just like Paul, it says that he's provoked in his spirit, and he sees the idols. He sees the idols. I don't know if any of you have been to a, a third world country or a country as a missionary or you've been on a short-term mission and you go and, and, and it would be the height of foolishness to go to this new culture, this new country where people do not know you nor your ideals or ideas or morals or background or experience. They have no clue. It would be the height of arrogance and foolishness for us to arrive in a country and expect the populace to actually bend into what we think. You know, that we turn up as a Western into a non-Western country, it would be very strange and arrogant for us to just think everybody should act like us. In fact, what we spend a lot of time doing with missionaries is training them about the culture that they're going to so they can understand and appreciate and contextualize the gospel in that culture. We now, in our culture, are missionaries going into a foreign land. And the quicker that we realize that the old lens through which we looked at, believing that culture should bend into our Christian values, has long since gone. Culture and our world has accelerated past Christian ideals. And we have to ask ourselves some serious questions. Just like it would be if you were going to another country, another culture, we have to ask ourselves questions like, how do we thrive in this chaotic and confusing culture? How do we communicate the way of Jesus to people in a way that makes sense to them? And then how should the church engage our rapidly changing culture? You see, the way that things worked, and hear me out, the way that things worked 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 1 year ago, culture has shifted. And you can thank the internet for that. You can thank the way that we respond to the internet for that. But us trying to do church and us trying to live out our Christianity in the way that worked 30 years ago, we are walking into a new culture expecting them to bend into our ideals. We need to, like Paul, go into the culture that just in the same way there's a tension when you say you're a Christian, there's a tension within us. Here's what Paul did, and you can read this in, in, in Jude 3. The first thing that Paul talks about when it comes to the gospel is that we need to contend for the gospel. There's always going to be that tension. There's always going to be a little bit of a, you've got to fight for your faith. Absolutely. But at the same time, he also shows us, and you can see it in Acts 17, that we need to contextualize the gospel. We need to look at our culture, contend for Jesus, but also do it in a way that, like Paul, he said to the Jews, I become a Jew, to the Gentiles, I become a Gentile. Whatever it takes, that I might win some. And so the question that I want to ask at the beginning of 2021 is whether or not if you and I as individuals are contextualizing our faith in a culture that is far past now where we might actually believe it is. Are we ready to do things differently in order to see people come to know Jesus? Or are we stuck in a mindset that worked once 
And because it worked then, we believe it's going to work again. Now then, it's also important to note this. Is there something unique about the gospel? The Bible says in Romans 1 verse 16 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So within that context, within our culture, there's also a supernatural element that it's God that draws people to himself, not how well you are doing in your culture and how good you are and how well you're communicating. There's a powerful and miraculous change of heart that happens in the lives of people. But what's interesting is Paul didn't sit in either one of the camps only. He didn't say, you know what, it's only the power of God. I'm just going to completely ignore everybody in this culture and I'm I'm just going to do what I know best because that works. It's the gospel. He didn't just contextualize and go, well, I'm going to ignore the gospel. I'm not going to talk about Jesus. All I'm going to do is try and live like them. No, he he somehow did both. And we have to do the same. We have to do the same. We need to contend and we need to contextualize. So as good missionaries, here's the question that I want us to ask this year. And this is the question that I want us to ask as we go into Daniel. Uh, and it's one of the questions, not the main question, but certainly a question I want to ask this morning. And it's this, what in the world is going on in our world? Just imagine that we are with Paul Paul walks into downtown Kelowna or downtown wherever it is that you live and we're stood next to Paul and something just gets provoked inside of you. You're looking at what's going on in our schools. You're looking at what's going on in our universities. You're looking at what's going on in our city streets. You're looking at what's going on in our nice neighborhoods and something is just stirring inside of you. That's a good thing. That's the Spirit of God working in you so you can have the revelation you need to be able to effectively contextualize the gospel in that space. That's good news. But like Paul, Paul observed. He looked. He saw the idols that were around him. So like Paul, what we're going to do over the next few minutes is we're going to step into the center of our culture and we're going to look. We're going to observe It's going to provoke you. It's going to make you go, I don't know whether that's true. Deep down inside, if you've looked, you'll know it's true. But also it's going to make you go, it's going to be challenging. Because it's got to cause us to ask the question, are we doing everything we need to do? Or are we just stuck in our old ways? How do we thrive in this new culture, this Babylon, as Daniel would call it? How do we thrive that way? So we're going to look at what our culture is. Look what Paul says in, uh, sorry, that Luke writes in verse 22 as he's observing what's going on with Paul. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, so imagine we're standing in the midst of our culture, our neighborhoods, our streets, our schools, our universities. Whether you're in grade six or whether you're at university or in your workplace, you're stood in the middle and you're looking, you're observing. And he said this, Man of, men of Athens, notice how... Uh, respectful Paul is. That's important. He's respectful. He's not going into this culture saying, hey, why are you all acting this way, you bunch of loonies? You should be thinking and acting like me. No, he doesn't do that. He's respectful. He says, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar that, with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. That 
is brilliant. What he's doing is he's looking at the culture and he's using the culture to present the gospel. He's contextualizing the gospel. He's not criticizing it. He's not protesting against it. He's not going against it with anger and hatred and annoyance and arrogance. He's saying, look, I see what you're doing. Let me tell you about this unknown God that you have put an idol up towards. He's very respectful. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. We are living, we are in a post-Christian, but worshipping culture. Post-Christian, what does that mean? Post-Christian basically means that people don't think about Christianity in the same way that they used to. It's not like Christianity is irrelevant or in terms of its, uh, its ability to bring change. It's not like Christianity has been done away with. But in the minds of people that we are living with, working alongside, living by, we're in a post-Christian culture. We need to accept that. We need to recognize that. What that means is is that Christianity is easily dismissed. It's easily sidelined in a way that it has never been before. Our ideas just don't have a place anymore in our culture. That, like I said before, culture has accelerated away from the Christian ideals that sometimes we think are still out there. They're not out there. They've gone. They've been dismissed as irrelevant. And that's hard for us to hear as Christians. Because that which we hold dear, just because we hold it dear, does not make it a reality in the lives of other people. Nor does it make it reality in the lives of the children that your children are going to school with. Why is it a surprise to us when our kids go to school and they're taught things that we would find offensive? Why is that a surprise to us? Because somehow we still believe we live in a Christian culture. We don't. We live in a post-Christian culture. In an excellent book that I highly recommend called The Creative Minority, uh, the writer says this, Personal faith is welcome, but expressing your convictions or espousing ideas as truth in public is, notice these words, uncouth at best and often taken as coercive, intolerant, and even threatening. That's the culture we live in. That your belief, your faith is seen as coercive, intolerant, and threatening. Our culture has dismissed belief in God as irrelevant naivety. It really has. Now, let me just check in. I am not saying that that therefore means that the gospel of Jesus Christ is irrelevant to people's lives. It is not. But the way that people see Christianity, they see it as irrelevant. Which is why the Bible says it's foolishness. See, there's nothing I'm sharing here that isn't in the Bible. It's foolishness. But Paul's approach was respectful, and he observed, and he contextualized, and he contended. He didn't just contend, he did the other three things as well. So Paul walked into this arena, and he's surrounded by idols. The, 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 the point I made just a second ago is that we live in a post-Christian culture that's very religious. It's very much worshipping. What is it predominantly? What is the God that our culture predominantly worships? For us to understand it, all we need to do is go on Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat just for a little while. You can see this God coming through with a small g, very small g, but incredibly powerful. This this God is the God of freedom. It's the God of freedom. 
It's the, it's the sense of that, that, you, that it's the release of every constraint and ideology from the outside. It's this idea that, that the good life is having financial freedom to do whatever you want to do. The good life, as the Greeks used to talk about the good life, that used to be moral-based and ideal-based and value-based. The good life now is financial freedom. The good life now is sexual freedom. I can be with whomever I want, whenever I want, how often I want. The God of freedom says that you can have relationship freedom. You can do whatever you want. There is no constraint. There's no ideology. There's the freedom from authority. There's the freedom of expression. I can do whatever I want. In other words, nobody has the right to tell me how to live. Society has to bend into my will. I'm not bending into society. That is a massive shift in our world because it's not that long ago. I remember even as a teenager and a young adult, there was this sense of obligation towards society and culture. There's a responsibility. That has now been done away with and replaced with the God of freedom that you are the center. In the beginning, me. In the beginning, God, no, no, not in the beginning, God, not in the beginning, society, not in the beginning, community, not in the beginning, none of those good, godly things. In the beginning, me, myself, and my goals, my desires, my hopes, my freedom, that is the center. So to somebody whose whole life, and let me tell you, that is, if you don't see that in our culture, then I'd encourage you just to go and have an observation. Just go and have a look. You see it everywhere. Complete freedom from all constraints. And then what we do as Christians is we walk into the center of our culture and we say, hey, you're not Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. You need to submit to him. You need to, you need to come under his authority. You need to make his life your priority. You need to actually submit to his morals, his ideals, his ideologies. It is not about you. It's me third. God first, others second, you third. That is absolutely mental to the average person who is in our culture in Kelowna in the 21st century. Are you kidding me? Are you crazy? Deny myself for something else? Me submit and make somebody else Lord? I am Lord. I am center. And then what we do as parents is we actually reinforce this into the lives of our children. We reinforce it into the lives of our employees or co-workers because the message of our culture is you are everything. You are the center. In the beginning, you. In the beginning, you. So giving up their own ways in order to follow after Jesus is quite crazy in 2021. That's what people think. That's the idol. That's Paul going into the center of the city and observing. The unknown God is the God of freedom. Freedom from all constraints. So what is the result of this? 
This idea that, that Christians and what we believe as Christians is no longer relevant. What is the result of this? So there's some really good books that I'd encourage you uh, to look at if you're interested in all this. A very good author, a pastor in Australia called Mark Sayers has written some really good work on this. Uh, Disappearing Church is a really significant book, really powerful book, looking at post-Christian culture. Um, also, The Creative Minority. And so a couple of things that have come out of these books, the fallout of our post-Christian culture is, first of all, is that Christians uh, are seen as irrelevant and extreme. That's Barna's research. That's what people think about Christians. They're irrelevant. And the things that are irrelevant are extreme and offensive to me. That's That's what our society believes. This is not encouraging so far, is it? Hold on. Just stick with me because it does get better. It actually becomes really powerful. Christians used to be in a majority. Now they're in a minority. They used to be leading our country. Now they've been pushed onto the edge. And they used to be well thought of. And now they're looked down upon. You only need to look at our school and our education system to see that's the case. You only need to see universities, by the way, have been a couple of decades ahead in pushing the post-Christian mindset, and, the, and society's just catching up with it because the people who were at universities 15, 20 years ago are now parents. And so we're just catching up with this idea that Christians aren't well thought of anymore. What's another fallout? Christian, Christianity has moved from being respected to disrespected. About a hundred years ago, if uh, your son or your daughter came to you and said, Hey, mom, dad, I really want to become a doctor. Like today, there would be some, wow, that's going to be hard work, but good for you. That's a great profession. I'm proud of you. There was some social status about being a doctor, just as there is today. So all the doctors in the South, thank you for all your work. You thoroughly deserve the status that society has given you. The other, the other really well-respected profession at that time was a lawyer or an accountant. And it, things haven't shifted. Things haven't changed. They're good professions. Engineers, these are good professions. These are things that as mums and dads, you go, you know what? I'm glad you're having that job because I need to be kept in my old age. Thank you very much. Those are good jobs. The other job 100 years ago that when your child came to you and said, hey, I want to be that you used to celebrate was, hey, I want to be a minister. Yeah, I want to be a pastor. Mum or dad would celebrate that being a good thing. Tumbleweeds. Now, our culture doesn't celebrate that. It's not respected in the same way that it used to be. Um, Somebody was telling me this week about them being at work and and somebody was swearing really badly and using Jesus' name as a swear word. It's interesting, as you watch TV these days, they will beep out other swear words, but they'll often leave the word Jesus or Jesus Christ in. That's, that's completely respectable. What would be highly disrespectful would be to use another religious founder's name as a swear word. That would be looked upon as being intolerant. Not with Christianity. Christianity, that's okay. Bring it on. I'm not even going to bleep it out. It's, it's fine. What's the big deal? It's just the king of kings, the lord of lords that I'm using in vain. Well, first of all, all the best with that, if that is what you're doing, because things like that don't end well. But 
Our society celebrates other religions and cultures in a way that Christianity is disrespective. Another way is Christians used to have a moral high ground, and this is a quote from John Tyson, now they have the moral low ground. What does that mean? Well, what it means is culture says this, if you don't worship our way, if you don't follow our way, if you don't think what we think, if you don't say what we say, if you don't dress the way we dress, if you don't go to the places we go to, if you don't have a worldview that we have, then you are a bigot, you are unloving, you are intolerant, and you are full of hate. Being free and liberal now is the only moral thing to be. Free and liberal in its fullest sense of the word. So, for example, if you don't have sex before you're married, you're weird. That's not freedom. If you believe in the biblical definition of marriage, one man, one woman, then you're a bigot And you're weird. You're out of touch. You're unloving. You're full of hate. If you think there's a universal morality, then you're weird. You're bigoted. You're dangerous. That's the reality of what people think when it comes to Christians. What they don't understand is how loving and how caring and how... how unjudgmental and how Christians come alongside people even if we struggle with them and they struggle with us. They don't see that because they see the God of freedom as being ultimate. And so this is the reality of the world that we live in. So I gave you a very fleeting glance through post-Christian culture, and I would encourage you to look at it. But then the biggest question is this, how do we respond? How do you respond? How do I respond? How does the church respond? How are you leading your children to respond? How are you, how are you living your life in this post-Christian culture that is continually pointing to Jesus? Well, really, there's three, very broadly, three ways that we can respond as Christians. And... Uh, and so look at, look at what Acts 17 says, how Paul responded. So while Paul is waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. We've seen that. And he saw that the city was full of idols. That's how far we've got. We've got to hear. We've recognized the idol. We've recognized the God. We've recognized the culture. It saddens us. It provokes us. It causes us to go, this isn't right. What does Paul do next? So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. It's really important for us to notice that as we consider what our response is, that Paul didn't step away from the culture, he stepped into it. He pressed in. And that, my friend, is what you are going to see as we study Daniel, as we look at Jeremiah that Daniel refers to. You're going to see an encouragement from God not to step away from culture, but to step into culture. But that is not always our habit. Depending on your age and your experience... You can respond in really broadly two different ways. And so let me, let me show you uh, what that might look like. So first of all, you've got post-Christian culture. That is a reality that we live in. That is the reality that we live in. So the first way that we can respond is shown on the left here. We can respond with fear. We can separate ourselves. Look at what's happening. 
Oh, it's awful. It's terrible. Jesus is going to come back soon. The end is near. Look at what's happening. Let's retreat and yell and protest. Let's retreat some more and yell and protest. Let's retreat some more and yell and protest. And we withdraw with fear, judgment. That is one way of doing it. And that has been a common thread through our Christian uh, lifestyle, lifetime. That's a common thread, to withdraw through fear. But not just to withdraw, but to do something else. To actually create our own subculture within the wider culture. So you can go back hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. The extreme would be that you'd live as a hermit in a cave. You've withdrawn, you create your own subculture, you don't need to go into the world anymore because the world is scary and it's anti-Jesus. That is separating through fear. That's one way to respond. What's our uh, equivalent to that these days? So this is where it gets a bit near the knuckle, so bear with me, bear with me. If you're a little older, and by older I'm talking maybe, um, you know, it's maybe 40, 50 plus, or if you're, some, sometimes people can be younger but have an older mindset, all right? So if you're a little older, then what we tend to do is create our own Christian subculture. This list I'm going to give you, there's nothing wrong with any of these things. Nothing wrong with them at all, unless they have been created in order for us to be able to hide in, like our cave. Nothing wrong with caves, but if you're hiding in your cave because through fear of getting involved in society, it's not the cave that is the problem. It's us in the cave. So, for example, we just create this little subculture, especially as parents. We create a subculture. Well, my child is not, or my child will only go. We have Christian radio. We have Christian schools. We have Christian coffee shops. We have Christian volleyball clubs. We have Christian daycares. We've got Christian books. We've got Christian t-shirts. We've got Christian haircuts. We've got Christian tattoos. We've got Christian jewelry. We've got Christian sneakers. It's just let's surround ourselves in a big crash helmet of subculture and hope that the world just bounces off it. So uh, it won't infiltrate our brains. It won't infiltrate our children's lives. Can I tell you, as somebody who's got young adult children, they will have it come at them. And we will not always be there to provide a subculture of Christianity around them. Now, we can talk like that's the case, but actually to live in a way where we have a tension of protection, absolutely. So here's where the emails will start. Well, we have a responsibility to protect our children, absolutely. But the number one best way of protecting our children is going to come through Daniel, and it's going to be this, that God is in control, he is sovereign, Jesus is king, follow him like we follow him, and go into the world and represent him well. That is our calling as parents and sometimes it goes exactly as we would want it to go and other times we have to hold them with an open hand and hope and pray for years and years that God is in control and he will often test us in that. What we are not called to be as parents is protectionists, separatists, fear-mongering. We're not called to be that. So there's a tension in parenting on how do we teach our children to live in this culture without being of it. The strap line to this message that we're going to do is Daniel, in it, not of it. There is a way, and it is not by protection. It is not by being separate, because what it leads to is legalism. It leads to being judgmental. It leads to a huge amount of hypocrisy, and generally it gets really, really loud and nasty on the public forum. 
And we can all think of examples of that. So does that mean that we shouldn't be lobbying, that we shouldn't be taking a stand? I'm not saying that, but if we're doing it from a point of fear, then that cave has become a hiding place. That's protection. The other way that people respond, so generally with older-minded parenting, just it's more common with older people to actually withdraw What is the complete opposite is what we have on the other side is that we compromise. It's syncretism. We take what's in the world and we mix it with what's inside us and what we think and we come up with our own worship community. We come up with our own way of doing life. We blend in. We become just like everyone else. See how there's two opposite, polar opposites. Fear, withdraw, blend in. Unseen. You just, what, really? You're a Christian? But you're just like us. Now you can go, yes, because I'm trying to win some. You know, I'm going to the nightclub, for those of you, I don't even know if nightclubs are still open anymore. But you can go to the nightclub and you can dance and take drugs and drink for Jesus. No, you can't. You can't do that. That's not to win people. That's just silly. Jesus didn't do that. Yeah, but he hung out with sinners and and drunkards. Yeah, first of all, he was the son of God. And secondly, you know, he had a purpose and a spirit inside of him that actually affected people rather than them affecting them. So syncretism is us blending in and becoming just like everyone else and seeking the same good life, the God of freedom like them. Now, I don't like saying them and us because that is part of the problem. And you're going to see as we study Daniel, there is no them and us. There's calling. There's there's life. There's thriving. One of the biggest problems on this side of the spectrum is that we start interpreting the Bible through culture. So what does culture look like? I'm going to read the Bible through what I think culture is like. Rather than placing the Bible on top of culture and looking at culture through the scriptures. And by the way, it's an incredibly relevant book because it's the word of God to be able to do that with. We look at culture and go, I'm going to look at the Bible through the lens of culture. Culture says this, therefore the Bible must mean that. That's dangerous ground to be on. And can I say that this liberal theology that emerges from that is a really unhappy place for you to live in. You can't be a happy sinner because you're feeling convicted all the time. And you can't be a happy churchgoer because you're also feeling convicted all the time. And so what tends to happen is people who compromise withdraw, ironically, from Christian community. They withdraw from Christian community. They can tend to become critical and they can tend to show extreme apathy for anything to do with what's going on inside biblical community. So they don't attend, they don't come, they don't get involved, they don't pray. It's just kind of because it kind of makes us feel guilty when we're compromising. So it's two extremes. Two extremes. That's two responses to our culture. Hide, withdraw, separatist. Get involved, compromise, blend in. Is there a better way? Is there a way that God actually created us to be? Is there a theme that goes through the scriptures all the way through? And we're going to look at this in more detail next week. 
But is there a theme that goes through the scripture that actually gives a clarion call to us as Christians to live in a better and more different way? That we are not part of it and blending in, nor are we, uh, nor are we separating and hiding. That there's a better way to parent. There's a better way to run our businesses. There's a better way to uh, be uh, co-workers, spouses, parents, grandparents. There's a better way to live in this society that we have been called to. Because one thing that is sure, my friend, is I believe in a God who is in complete control. And he, in his unprecedented wisdom, far above our thoughts, he has placed you and me in this time for a reason. And it is not to separate ourselves, nor is it to become like them. There's a better way. And the better way is what we're going to see in Daniel. We're going to see that there's a way that we can be in it and not of it. That we can actually affect our society and we can see our society change. That we can contend for the gospel and while at the same time being understanding and not judgmental and contextualizing our gospel. There's a better way so that when we walk into the saloon of our lives that people don't stop playing the piano and look at us aghast and going, wow, these people are weird. But they look and they celebrate that we're here. They're celebrating that Jesus is being lived out in each one of us. That's the better way that God has called us to. And we're going to see it in Daniel. And Daniel is going to show us, especially in the first six or seven chapters, how to live in such a way. He's going to fulfill what the prophet Jeremiah said about the time of exile, this beautiful scripture, but seek the welfare of the city, Kelowna, where I have sent you, you have been sent, I have been sent, Christian friends, for this time, for this place, even if you're here just for a couple of weeks, that you are here for a purpose. He sent you into exile. We're going to look at this word in more detail over the coming weeks. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Pray for it. Live in it. See it thrive. See its welfare increase. And then through that, Jesus is going to be shown as powerful and significant and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And people will readily want to come under his authority in a way that is far more effective than us just withdrawing and putting a big crash helmet around our lives. Let's hunker down. That is the opposite of what people want. People want what? They want freedom. So in the same way that Paul pointed to this unknown God Today and over the next few weeks, we're going to point at the unknown God, the God of freedom. And we're going to say, you want freedom? Ultimate freedom is found in Jesus Christ. Let me introduce you to him. Let me back that up by the way that my kids live their lives, the way that I live my life. He becomes so attractive that our city thrive. There's a power. There's power in personal devotion to God. And our culture is desperately in need of it. Our culture needs to see people who are not strange and weird going into our world saying, I believe in Jesus, but people who are understanding and loving, but still contending. I've talked about Christian BO before. You know, you don't mention you're a Christian. You just hope people just pick up on it. No, you still open your mouth. You still speak. You still contend, but you're contextualizing. Let me finish with this. You'll find, as we study this, There are countless times, not just in biblical times, but also in historical, more modern history times, that when the church is contending, when culture seems to have accelerated away, where it just seems like there's a massive gap between culture and Christianity, you'll find that the power of the few 
is significant, like world-changing, turning the world upside down level. It just takes one or two of us to set our attention and set our minds upon this, and whole worlds and whole kingdoms can change. The other thing that's really interesting, in the darkest times, it seems that's when the supernatural becomes most prevalent, that God breaks in, God changes, God brings transformation through a people who are dedicated to him. This is not a time for us to shrink back in 2021. This is not a time for us to hide out. This is not a time for us to wait until the pandemic is over and emerging with blinking eyes out into society and then but still living a hidden life. This is the time for us to step forward, to dedicate ourselves to prayer, to dedicate ourselves to the 21 days of prayer that's coming up and to commit ourselves to learning how we can look at culture through the lens of love through the lens of appropriate judgment, not condemnatory judgment, but judgment that leads people to Christ, that we can actually do it in a way where our city will flourish. Now is the time to pray. Now is the time to seek. Now is the time to observe and learn. Now is not the time to hold on to what used to be in the hope that it will work again in the future. The things that work, prayer, personal devotion, scripture reading, biblical community, sharing, a breaking of bread. These things work. They're biblical. They're right. Old methodologies. We just need to let go of what we think the world should be like and actually look at what the world is like and say, Jesus, what are you saying at such a time as this? So here are some questions for you to think about this week. And you can see this video again. You can pause it, talk about it in your family. These are great questions to talk about around the dinner table with even little guys. Okay? First of all, Describe a time when you had a saloon experience. When you shared your faith with someone, how did it make you feel? What was your response? So again, you can press pause, come back to this, have a chat through that. Number two, be very honest. Where are you on the scale between fear and compromise? Be really honest. This may not be something you talk around the table. You can. This might be something more you journal out. Really, are you hunkering back, cave mentality, or are you just like compromise mentality. Is there anything else you need to confess or anything you need to confess or ask God to help you with? Lord, I confess that I live my life in fear. I confess that I communicate this fear to my children and my loved ones. Lord, help me be bold. That was a prayer that they prayed all the way through the New Testament, by the way. Boldness. Be courageous to step forward and contend and contextualize. And I want to encourage you to read the first six chapters of Daniel, one chapter a day between now and next Sunday, and make a note of anything you find interesting. It's a fantastic book. So read a chapter, maybe as a family, read a chapter a day, talk about it uh, after dinner. You know, you've got lots of plenty of time inside right now. Um, Think about what this, this book is telling us about how we should live our lives in this culture that you could call Babylon. I'm going to pray for you. And this has been a little more lecture-like, a little bit more introduction to the series. And, and we're going to really jump into the scripture next week. But I want to encourage you that if you are seeking after the God of freedom, let me tell you, there is a far more powerful, far more significant, far more loving and kind and gracious and forgiving God. And his name is Jesus. And that which you are seeking for can only be found in him. I'm going to pray for you. 
And if you want to ask any questions about anything that has been said today, or you can press the connect button, or you can connect with one of our hosts, and they would be uh, happy to help you and direct you in the right way. But I'm praying as we step into 2021, we do so with vigor, with determination, with, with power, with boldness and courage, that we have been called to such a time as this. These are the days of not Noah, as Jesus said, but these are our days. What are we going to do with them? Let's pray. Dear Lord, it's just such a a powerful message, Lord, that you are communicating to us through Daniel. And Lord, I pray over the next few weeks as we jump into this in a little more detail that you would speak to us as individuals and as families and as a church, Lord. And that, Lord, I pray among above everything else, that we would devote ourselves, just like they did in the early church, devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, to gathering together, to generosity, all these good, godly things that, Lord, loving one another, that, Lord, we would step in, not step away. And, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you stepped in. You stepped into this dark world. You stepped in and towards the cross so that we could live empowered lives, so we could be forgiven. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that anybody who hears these words, that Lord, that is not experiencing the true God of freedom, big G, not little G, the true God, Jesus, that Lord, I pray that they would seek you out, that Lord, you would woo them to yourself, and that Lord, that they would come into a knowledge of you. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you for your example. Thank you, Lord, that you stepped in. You stepped in. You stepped towards. That was the example you stepped for us. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. We love you. We're thankful for you. Amen. God bless you. Read Daniel. Thank you for joining us today. And I pray you have a wonderful week back to work. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing from you. Looking forward to seeing you soon. Keep an eye out on the website and on the emails that we send for everything that's going on. 21 Day of Prayer. Got Alpha Marriage coming up. Uh, Go on the website and you can find that. And uh, looking forward to wonderful ways that God is going to bless you, your family, and the church family as well. God bless. Have a great week.